Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Uh, Julie, have, have you read or seen, I know I've asked you this before, but have you read or seen Dune? I have seen parts of it in the past. Okay. But I think when I say parts of it, like it was on some sort of secondary cable channel, and okay. it was Saturday, and it might have been during a time in my life where I was a little bit tired in the morning, and I just sat there on the couch. So I cannot say that with fidelity I watched it, you know, from the beginning to the end. Okay. Well, well, that's that's fair. Okay. Um, that I, passes muster. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I remember watching the film uh, in bits and pieces on cable TV when I was uh, younger, and then I read it, and then I read it again. Mm-hmm. But... Um, there's this thing that, that shows up in it uh, called the Orange Catholic Bible. Which yes. I, uh, Dune, for anyone who's not uh, familiar, big, you know, space epic, um, space opera uh, um, story that takes place on far distant worlds long after Earth has has vanished. Uh, but there are still all these human civilizations out there on different planets. Mm-hmm. And they still have religion. Um and the the book and the books kind of deal with the emergence of a new religion, but the one that they have taken with them is this thing they call the um, the Orange Catholic Bible, or okay. that's that's their text anyway. Which I always kind of picture in my mind being like a really orange looking. Bible. I was just thinking no. of Fanta, you know, <laughs> with a big cross on it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So it's supposedly a, a an, an accumulated book, mm-hmm. and uh, like this is a the quote from uh, from Dune. Uh, 
the religious text produced by the Commission of Ecumenical Trans- Translators. It contains elements of the most ancient religions, including, and uh, he names uh, a, a couple here that I think are, are made up, but also Christianity, Catholicism, uh, uh, Buddhism, Islam, and its supreme commandment is considered to be, quote, thou shalt not disfigure the soul. Um, so what I what I really like about this is the idea that you know this this idea that that in some far distant future mm-hmm. we still have taken religion with us mm-hmm. though it has altered its form just as religion and and belief human belief alters uh just you know from generation to generation it um, evolves it, might i say yeah it evolves over time mm-hmm. and uh and it's such a fascinating area of thought not only because I like to, you know, we're kind of futurists. We like to imagine what what are humans going to be doing in the future? What are they going to be thinking? How are they going to be perceiving their world? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does stir a lot of debate because, um, or maybe just angst, because on, on one hand there are people that are that are very adamant about the idea that that we should just leave the religion at home. That right, it, it should be sort of a church and state thing here. Yeah, yeah. or and also that like science is is going is the thing that's going to get us that gets us into orbit. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not faith, it's not uh, belief, it's not myth or, or lore or any of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's solid facts. It's 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 science, and right. science should be the thing that we take with us. It's the thing that propels us, and right. that that if we bring all these uh, these outdated ideas of of gods and goddesses into uh into the cosmos with us then we're just bringing trouble with us well that it maybe could hamstring our understanding right right okay yeah. so in, in that sense the, the the two shall never sort of coexist in this example right right but that's not necessarily the case. I mean, if I'm not wrong, too, is it Carl Sagan who said that he felt like it at some point in, in the future that there might even be a science based religion? Yeah. That could bridge Saganism, the two. maybe? Yeah, yeah, Saganism. We all wear turtlenecks. <laughs> oh, that would be great. We have that, that cool haircut. Yeah. I would uh, do it. Yeah, I think there, there's definitely an argument that we're. That, that no matter where we go as mm-hmm. a species, um, at least as far as we, you know, not, not getting into ideas of like, uh, you know, human consciousness changing, but based on our, our, what it currently is to be human. Yeah. Um, we're going to bring this worldview or some sort of worldview with us. Now, what pieces we use to construct it, you know, uh, that's kind of, uh, up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of becomes like, uh, you know, buffet religion where, uh, I, I like to imagine people choosing only the healthiest uh, bits <laughs> from the buffet to take with them into the future and leaving the the fatty, uh, disgusting or intolerable um, items on the buffet. Yeah, the stuff that gives you poopy tubes later on. Yeah. 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 Well, that that is nice. But that's, that's a nice this is a lot of yeah. yeah. And this is what could happen. Yeah. And this, this is a lot of me talking. But we're going to discuss other people's uh, ideas on this yeah, besides let, me. Let's talk about. Yeah. OK, so we've had some space exploration. Let's talk about um but, you know, what people have observed in space religion-wise. Cause that, that's not a big topic that comes up when you say, oh, okay, we, you know, there's a space mission and so on and so forth. Yeah, if we were going to keep outer space religion-free, we kind of already screwed that one up. Because yeah. uh, cause, uh, we've uh, we've actually seen some uh, interesting examples of, uh, well, for start, let's start off with Christianity, yeah. since uh, it was largely, um, you know, just by happenstance of history, um Christian men who wound up in space before uh, most other religions. So um, we have, for instance, Buzz Aldrin in yes. 1969, uh, who consumed com- communion bread and wine on the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Now, he didn't get to transmit the ceremony back to Earth because uh, NASA had, was already in kind of deep water because they uh, let the Apollo 8 crew uh, read from the book of Genesis for Christmas, and they transmitted that, and uh, and so there was a big lawsuit. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, Buzz Aldrin having communion on the moon. Okay. Well, you know, you got to get your wine in there. I get yeah. it. Although I understand this, it's a deeper, uh, more symbolic thing going yeah. on than just ingesting wine. I get it. Yeah. And then, uh, uh and then I mean, people have continued to, when they have faith, to bring it with them. And, uh, and sometimes they'll bring, uh, some rather interesting articles of faith with them, faith with them. This was just in, t- in, uh, in 2009, but cosmonaut, uh, Maxim Surov, reported that the Russian Federal Space Agency has a small cache of religious uh, items on the International Space Station, including a reliquary cross, which allegedly contains a piece of the original cross uh, that Jesus was crucified on. Okay. Yeah. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, uh, this has been a common thing throughout history uh, since uh, the crucifixion, uh, you know, took place that, uh, they would have these holy relics, little mm-hmm. pieces of the cross. And I've also heard it argued that if you were to take every alleged piece of the true cross and were to reassemble the true cross, the true cross would be enormous. It would be like the size of a supermarket or something. Okay. So they would have to go in and really like, uh, change the, uh, yeah. the engineering on the, yeah. on the Well, there's, on the there's a lot of fraudulent pieces. So I'm not <laughs> saying that they definitely have a piece of this true, you know, historical, um, you know, thing up there. Right. But, uh, but they, 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 they think they do, or they have a piece that claims to, um, you know, and have a bit of the true cross. In okay. There. So it's just kind of fascinating that they're religious, uh, relics in space right now, even. Yeah. Um, of course, we've had, uh, the Jewish, uh, faith, uh, Judaism has gone into to a space before in the form mm-hmm. of kosher food. Uh, it's uh, already appeared on orbital menus. And, uh, which I, you know, it makes sense to me in a way because if you're a vegetarian, yeah. You probably would want vegetarian food in space, right? Uh, not necessarily that that's associated with any sort of religion, but, um, yeah. You know, I mean, there are certain things that you're trying to adhere to. Right. If you have certain dietary restrictions, be they health related or faith related, you know, the, the um, one of the, the big things about space food is you want people to eat the food. That's why we've had this, there's been a lot of work that's gone into making space food edible mm-hmm. and not only edible, but tasty and, and like tailor, uh, fitting the menu to uh, individuals, uh, on these different space missions. Right. So, you know, you, you want this dude to eat, you want him to be healthy or he or she in orbit. So yeah, if they have a certain dietary restriction, even if it's purely, uh, relig- religion based, then they're gonna, they're gonna do what they can to make it work. Okay, so, so far I don't really see any of these things sort of interfering with the mission itself, right? Right. You know, cause, cause other things are like, um, astronaut Jeff Hoffman, uh, took like a dreidel into space mm-hmm. to just, you know, to spin it around, cause that's kind of gimmicky and cool, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and there was a, there was a, an experiment where they lit the candles on a, on a menorah, mm-hmm. and, uh, they were like looking at how the, uh, the flame is, is spherical. Uh, in, in oh, and, and which is yeah. just cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is not really getting in the way of anything. Yeah. Um, now uh, there's another whole fascinating area and that's uh, the idea of taking, uh, Islam into space. Yeah. And, and right. In fact, it didn't, wasn't there, uh, is it in Myanmar where they had a, a big discussion about the best ways to go into space and they produced actual like um, guide on, on observing, um, 
Muslim religion in space? Yeah, m- well, the Malaysian National Space Agency. Okay. Um, they, yeah, they, back in 2006, the Department of... Excuse Is- me, I said Myanmar. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the same, same letter. Uh, the, the county's, uh, the, the country's Department of Islamic Development assembled a team of 150 Islamic scientists and scholars, and they, they ended up putting together a 12-page booklet mm-hmm. on recommendations for how to conduct oneself in, in accordance with Islamic law in space. Because obviously when when laws like this are originally laid out, no one's taking into account space missions. Right. Uh, and we're talking about, uh, and specifically here we're talking about, of course, there are dietary res- restrictions, mm-hmm. uh, just as there are in uh, in, in Judaism. Um, slightly different, but but they have them. Uh, and then there's the whole uh, tradition of p- praying to in the direction of Mecca. Okay. Which uh, can be a fairly complicated thing on Earth, as we discussed in the, um, the, the episode uh, Technology of the Ancients, mm-hmm. the astrolabe. Uh, is a, a rather cosmic uh, instrument that allow that, that has allowed for thousands of years uh, individuals to uh, determine find Mecca, yeah, determine yeah. exactly the location of Mecca, so that they're praying in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, like a lot of this again doesn't. It feels like okay, you're in a you're on a mission and, and yeah. you're an individual, and so uh, as you said, you bring in a you're going to bring your belief system with you and and your particular. Things. It's almost like if I went into space, I probably would have my my uh, my unicorn versus Norwal. Oh, yeah. Figurines. I might bring those with me. Really? But they're both pointy, and you're going to bring them and let them just float around? Well, they're versus oh, pointy. Okay. Well, as long as they're pointed at each other. But yeah. I, I can just imagine them flying into someone's eyes <laughs> when the shuttle is like... I, I, you know, of course, I would tether them down. But I'm just saying that, you know, we all bring some sort of oh, yeah. cage of ourselves yeah. wherever we go. So it's unavoidable to, to bring this. But so, so far, it seems like, you know, these are things that are not necessarily problematic. Right. And uh, those uh, out of those uh, recommendations made by the uh, uh, Department of Islamic uh, Development, mm-hmm. they pointed out that like if you uh, you should always attempt to pray in the direction of Mecca, right? And that if you're um, when possible, but that ultimately it's like if you know if you can't figure it out, it's the prayer is more important than where you're you're pointed. Uh, likewise, if you are on a space mission uh, away from Earth, say you're on your way to Mars, uh, it's perfectly acceptable just to pray in the direction of Earth. Or uh, the the detail I liked. Uh, the most uh, that is if you can't tell which direction the earth is in you can just uh, your prayer can be directed quote wherever <laughs> because if you because uh, i'm thinking like that's the time when you definitely want to get down to some serious praying when you're yeah. on that spaceship and you have no idea where earth is in relation to the ship um and then other stuff was just like um, for instance uh, they have a daily five prayer cycle and if you're not on earth then a, you, the 24 hour uh cycle is, mm-hmm. is a little different right because um yeah, you'd just be, you, cause you end up, every time you, you revolve around the earth, you're gonna fit in five different prayers, so you'd just be praying nonstop, basically. Right. Um, so they just said, well, just keep it in, in line with the passing of the hours on the planet earth. Which makes sense. Yeah. Alright, so you know, gotta, gotta get some ground rules here. Um, so, okay, it's still though a pretty big topic, right? Um, yeah. You know, religion and space, science, really. And what I noticed is that when I was at the World Science Festival and I had gone to a panel called The Future of Big Science, which featured uh, Nobel laureate and physicist Steven Weinberg, uh, that people brought up religion after his talk about, you know, the, these big, the future of big science and what might happen. 
Um, and I was actually kind of surprised about that because he talked more about, um, you know, funding and, you know, politics and so on and so forth. Um, but he took a question from an audience member concerning religion. And, and this person said, do you think that in the U.S., because we are so focused on religion, every aspect of society, including science, and this comes up, you know, again and again, about whether the two can coexist. Do you think that that is actually hamstringing the U.S.'s ability to compete in the field of science? And um, Weinberg was, uh, you know, he didn't really directly answer that question. But what he did say is that in the West, uh, he says, I don't find an anti-science mentality. What I find is a confusion about what science is. Mm-hmm. And he went on to say that this just isn't a problem in most countries, particularly uh, countries like China. And um, and they don't necessarily have any debates about pursuing scientific endeavors in the face of religion. In other words, their funding is not attached to any political groups mm-hmm. uh, who may question the the, um, the, the uh, potential of space exploration or scientific endeavors, even like the Large Hadron Collider, for instance. Right. Um, so that's, I think what Weinberg is sort of pointing to is that this is when there can be a problem with religion and science because if you have different groups, and again, you talk about religion, you're talking about like incredibly complex mosaic of religions and beliefs and thoughts and opinions and trying to fit all of that you know, under one heading that then is directing possibly what what um, a government might be doing in terms of scientific uh, endeavors really is <laughs> sort of like trapping, you know, gas in a suitcase. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it's it's a difficult thing to intertwine the two. Yeah. Now, an- another country where it's apparently not that big of an issue is uh, uh, the, the whole science versus religion debate yeah. is India. Yeah. Um, there's a, a guy by the name of. Uh, Veradarja V. Raman, and uh, I actually, uh, and he he uh, is a professor of physics and humanities at uh, uh, Rochester uh, Institute of Technology, and uh, I actually interviewed him uh, maybe a year ago, and he's uh, he's appeared to talking about this particular issue. I think on uh, speaking speaking of faith, which mm-hmm. I think is now called Being the NPR show. Yeah, Krista yeah. Tibbet. Yeah, Krista yeah. Tibbet. And, uh, and he, he pointed out, he actually wrote an essay called Why in Science and Why in Religion. And, uh, in, in, in the, the difference, uh, part of the problem could be linguistic, mm-hmm. uh, because in, uh, in the English language, we have the word why. Mm-hmm. And that word has to, has, has two different senses. There's the, um, there's the, there's the cause why. Like, uh, why am I unhappy? Or to put it more simply, what is the cause of my unhappiness? Mm-hmm. All right? And, uh, the effect, you know, the effect is dependent upon prior events. So, which is you know, related to the cost. And then there's the why in the, uh, teleological sense. Okay. All right. Uh, teleology is the, is the philosophical study of design and purpose. So if you're saying, why am I, my, why am I unhappy? And you, uh, interpret that in the teleological sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this deep question about the meaning of the universe. Teological meaning God, like you're outside of yourself. So why God me? Why? Yeah, that, yeah. But as opposed to why did this, you know, what were the events that, Led to this happening, right? Okay, and uh, you know, like say, why? Why are there humans? Why? Why are we going into space? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but in uh, in Tamil, there are two different words for the each different why. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just find that that fascinating <laughs> that you can say, um, why are there humans? On, uh, you know, on the planet. Why did? Why are we the the most you know the evolved species on Earth? And you can say that with the, with just the right word to make it a completely non-religious uh, or even or even philosophical question. Mm-hmm. So.
Well, it is kind of interesting that at the end of the day, that um, humanity really shares more similarities than dissimilarities, right? Like we all are pretty blown away by the mysteries of the world, whether or not we're looking at them through a religious or a scientific lens. Right. And we all pretty much want the best for each other and ourselves, right? So it is kind of fascinating that even though that's that's primarily the case, we, mm-hmm. we still get down to semantics and we're splitting hairs and this causes a lot of heartache and mayhem. Um, but I do think it's interesting um, that that Weinberg was saying that, you know, the crux of this is that it comes down to funding sometimes because you do have uh, lobbyists that are uh, talking to senators saying, you know, don't support this or do support this. And so that's really where, where the the um I guess you could say that rubber hits the pavement, right? Right. Uh, in terms of seeing these ideals play out in concrete ways. Mm-hmm. And for Weinberg, he is very concerned about the future of science in America because he sees cuts in funding. Because people, and it's a hard economy. People don't necessarily want to, you know, support things that are especially space exploration uh, related. And he's not necessarily saying, let's put a bunch of people up in space. In fact, I think that from what I could tell that he's he's thinking that unmanned missions are the way to go because you can still gather data. Right. Um, but for him, it's still like, you know what, what, what? Let's figure out what this world is all about. This is fascinating stuff. We live in it. And this is the way to do it through science because we're collecting data every day that that really changes our perspective or adds to it or, you know, makes this sort of, again, this mosaic of our existence a little bit even more um, amazing and powerful. Right. So I guess uh, one of the. One of the things is when, when, when science is trying to answer those questions, mm-hmm. uh, at what point do they end up asking questions that interfere with the questions that religion, uh, some religions claim to answer, right? Right. Yeah. And, but this is the cool thing is that we've seen, like, for for instance, with Brother um, Guy Consolmagno, he works for the Vatican, right. essentially. Um, he's entered into the arena of uh, planetary exploration ethics, right? Uh-huh. The the possible existence of extraterrestrial life and whether or not aliens would be with or without original sin. Right. Um, and it turns out that Brother Consolmagno is also very cool with terraforming other planets in an attempt to foster life there. So what I'm seeing there and what I say it's cool is because y- y- the conversation is happening. Yeah. It's not hamstringing necessarily what's going on right now from his, you know, at least from this limited perspective of Consolmagno. He's actually taking some of these issues and and talking about them through a religious lens and exploring them and not shutting them down. Yeah. Um, you know, is it funny that, you know, is it kind of funny to think that uh, he might be seeking out an alien and then just, you know, trying to uh, baptize the alien? Yes, but that's not necessarily <laughs> what he's doing. That's just... That's really especially if, if water will end up melting the alien, and then he ends up actually kicking off a, an interstellar war. That would that would be horrible. Wow! And yeah. then yet flying monkeys will be yeah. very angry. Or Wizard the, of Oz, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, just, it just occurs to me that gremlins could never be baptized, could they? If gremlins existed, <laughs> uh, or well, what are the things that turn into gremlins? The Mogwai. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole. There, I have a number of scientific. Um, uh, questions about the Mogwai, uh, but uh, but we'll get we'll That's get to those for another, another time. Podcast, yeah. The Mogwai podcast, of yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but but let's talk about like when religion and and science actually work together in space exploration. Yes. We have a couple examples. Yeah, one of them uh, that I really loved uh, that I, I ran across a few months back is the uh, the story of Dr. James C. Fletcher, and this guy served as NASA administrator from 1971 to 77 and 86 to 89. Mm-hmm. And this this guy was ex- extremely influential, like basically. Uh, we can we can almost lay the uh, 
the space shuttle program at his feet. You know, okay. he was he was very gung ho. Like, let's get let's get out there. Let's let's explore the cosmos. Let's find extraterrestrials. Let's find SETI. Yeah. Um, which is not something uh, everyone's into these days. No. But um, <laughs> but the, but the really interesting thing is this this guy grew up and was a devout uh, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, uh, the the Mormon, Mormon Church. Yeah. And. Um, and, and you know he was he was a, he was a believer, mm-hmm. and and where it gets interesting is that and we're not going to go into into depth about uh, Mormon theology or Mormon cosmology, but it does involve a universe full of quote worlds without number, and then and these worlds are according to to their um, their religion uh, inhabited by intelligent beings. So in other words, the the religion already includes extraterrestrial life, like it's mm-hmm. already factored into the design. So it's it's not something where um, in some of the like older, uh, you know, Christian religions, um, more traditional Christian religions, you have uh, this, you know, it's like there's no room for aliens because there's the, the whole idea is like, well, God made humans. There's Earth. There's no mention of anything else. Right. And if and if you do, you're going to have to, you know, to to to, to retcon it into the uh, the, the overall uh, design. But with the with the Mormon faith, it's already there. And so that was one of the driving forces. So I mean, it was part of the agenda of that faith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he wasn't I mean, to, to to have this sort of exploration, right? I mean, he wasn't like you know getting up there, you know, at NASA and making big religious speeches. But it was one of the things no. that, that personally drove him. Mm-hmm. As did the whole uh, like the Mormon faith is also steeped in uh, frontierism, you know? Yes. Because because you know they were the the Utah the early founders uh, the early members of the church were there was a, a very you know it was a frontier mentality mm-hmm. and. There's all in space exploration. You know, that's the, the the final frontier, right? Or at least the next frontier. So. Well, and then we, that, I mean, Manifest Destiny too is always yeah. part of that, right? Yeah. Which is for another time, but. But yeah, and he also, he also, it's interesting is that at the time, like, uh, before the 1950s, um, people, uh, like in, in the Mormon church, uh, some of the, the, the higher ups, they were very much against the idea of space exploration. They were yeah. like, like, God's not going to let you go too far. He's going to put limits on that. He's going to shut that down. So yeah, don't even yeah. don't even mess with it. And he was like he was one of the of, of several, you know, or, or numerous, uh, you know, intellectuals within the, the church who were like, no, that's that's complete hogwash. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't let don't let this stand in the way of our science. And in fact, it should be the other way around. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I, I found that to be an, an an inspirational story of of religion actually driving. Yeah, scientific yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, too. I saw your blog post on it and I had no idea about that. So um and it's a really good example of that. And then again, to bring up the astrolabe, uh, this is again, this is um, primarily a an invention of um, of the Muslim community from I can't remember now, but it had it's been in existence for oh, like the since the the fifth century BC. I yeah, say. yes, yeah. yes. And um, and what was so cool about this instrument is that it was improved upon and improved upon for hundreds and hundreds of years by uh, Muslim cosmologists who wanted to know, again, um, you know, where Mecca is and try to celebrate the important holidays and try to line up the sky with with their worldview and their beliefs. And what this did is it helped to usher in an age of discovery later on for us. Mm-hmm. And when I say age of discovery, we're talking about sailing ships and, uh, you know, discovering other countries, which, you know, of course, there are parallels um, with that in space, right? Right. Um, of course, you don't see in, in in Muslim countries now. You don't see a lot of um, funding into space exploration or a lot of the sciences today. But um, you know, back in the day, mathematics and, and sciences this was very much the field of um, of the Muslim religion, which right. 
you know, again, furthered our understanding today of what we know about the physical world, which is really cool. So the question is, can the two coexist? Will it happen? Will the discovery of, say, extraterrestrial microbes change the face of religion? Or will, you know, people hold steady in their beliefs? Actually, I've got a thought on that, which I'm going to get to right after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Okay, so here's the thought okay. that I have on uh, on how uh, extraterrestrial uh, life could shake uh, religious belief. I tend to find that there's, you know, it's like you, you reach a point and you and you adopt some sort of worldview, be it like super religious or just sort of quasi religious or you know or just sort of. Theology. Medium or none. Yeah, or medium or none. You, you still end up at, get, taking this on this worldview. And mm-hmm. inevitably, like part of the human experience is that something's going to come along to shake that. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if, say, if you believe in a God, like, a, like a, a God that's like, say, personally involved in your life, and then like somebody close to you dies or something, or you turn on the TV and you see something horrible happening, like if that doesn't destroy your faith, then I don't know that how aliens really could. I mean, that's that's just my sort of take on it. I feel like, yeah, yeah, that but and, but that's your one. And, and that's just the thing about religion, too. It's like even though there are certain doctrines that people follow, mm-hmm. you still have um, people still interpret it, you know, in, on an individual basis. Yeah, it's I mean, it's called a it's a world. It's a personal worldview. It's this, yeah. it's this bubble that each of us, even if you. You you know buy it off the shelf at the supermart along with everybody right. else. You're still cra- it's still individual to you. It's it's like a to go back to Dune. It's like that shield uh, that they <laughs> the energy shield <laughs> they have around themselves and uh, you know deflects uh, laser blast. Yeah yeah, and you're still funnel- you're funneling it through your experience. So that's yeah. that's whatever's going to come out on the other end is what it's going to come out. What I thought was interesting is um, that this is from a Time magazine article from 1961. And it is titled Religion, Space, and Scripture. It says Christianity has existed through the centuries on the assumption that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. What happens, asks Presbyterian theology professor W. Burnett, East Engineer, if it turns out that man is the pinnacle of only one of God's many worlds. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I understand what you're saying, but but then there's this 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 sticky like, part of it. Like what if NASA calls a press conference and they're like, guys, we've got we've got. Some good news and some bad news. The good news is we've discovered extraterrestrial life. The bad news is they're way hotter than us. It's just, it's just like they're just so much more handsome and, and, and their, their females are just so much more beautiful. It's like we just feel like crap now. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, who knows how, how, if, if, uh, this discovery comes upon us and how we'll react to it. But I thought this was interesting. This was from space.com, uh, in an article, could extraterrestrial intelligence sway religious, uh, beliefs? And they said to see what affects the discovery of extra, uh, let's just call it ET, I, intelligence might have on religion. Theologian Ted Peters and his colleagues surveyed more than 1300 individuals worldwide from multiple religious traditions, including Catholicism, uh, uh, Evangel- evangelical Protestants, mainline Protestants, Orthodox Christians, Mormons, Jews, Buddhists, and other non-religious groups. They found the vast majority of religious believers, regardless of religion, were overwhelmingly confident that they wouldn't suffer a collapse in faith in the face of evidence of extraterrestrial intelligence. Mm-hmm. In addition, roughly one-third of religious people thought that the faith of other religions would be threatened, while two-thirds of non-religious people thought that aliens would sway the faith of the religious as a whole. So 
completely huh. actually what you're kind of saying there. Yeah. Like your belief is your belief. Yeah. It's kind of like this little fortress that we build up against the realities of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and not just religion, but all like we're all any kind of belief system we take on ourselves, any kind of worldview, even if it's totally non-religious, like this is our vision of reality. And it stands as a fortress against actual reality. Right. And we have to choose when to reinforce it and when to just let the uh, the army come in, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I still have this question, like, okay, you've got the Large Hadron Collider. Let's say that you have a completely, like, behemoth version of it in 50 to 100 years. And uh, when they're able to, you know, with, with this new, like, souped-up Large Hadron Collider, they're, they're basically able to bear out the string theory and in even the existence of multiple universes and even to the point in saying, okay, every action or inaction um, is actually creating new actions in other universes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So even that, I think may not, that discovery may not change people's belief systems because, and the reason I think that's interesting is because, uh, you know, what would that mean to religion, which is, you know, sort of a codified system of more predicated on an afterlife that's determined by the deeds done in one single universe. Right. You know, what is that? That definitely skews your perception of of uh, what we're doing here on Earth now. Yeah. Well, like to, to take uh, one of the more I, I find like I think this would be one of the things that I would not pick up from the buffet if I were building, you know, my own yeah, plate yeah. Of, the, of theology. Uh, like, say, take the doctrine of hell. Right. The idea that you, you, in the early version of it, you can say, oh, well, there's a fiery place in the center of the earth where there are devils poking people with sticks. Mm-hmm. And then you can sort of you can sort of explain it away a little more and say, oh, well, it's more like another planet or maybe it's more like another dimension. You mm-hmm. know, so even in the advent of scientific uh, um, new scientific data mm-hmm. about the reality of the universe, we can sort of tweak different belief systems to make sense in the new universe, you know. Well, and, you know, I, I'm always... Uh, Even when that when the thing you're tweaking is kind of, uh, you know, in my opinion, kind of horrible. I'm always bringing up cognitive dissonance, right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of those instances where that can certainly incite that, right? Like if you've got this one piece of information that you believe and this other piece of information that's at odds at it, somehow yeah. you're probably going to make it square. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's not square. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is an interesting bit, just talking about like our our need to bring religion with us and mm-hmm. need to bring worldviews with us. There was a there's a great um, philosopher, historian, uh, professor, I think it was the University of Chicago by the name of Mercedes Eliade, mm-hmm. um, author of the, the Myth of the Eternal Return and all this. He's very big into like how crafting of worldviews and how they affect uh, everything. Um, well, he, he wrote about this one particular Australian Aboriginal myth. And it concerned um, this tribe that would that had this pole, mm-hmm. right? This sacred pole, and they would they would they would wander around all over the place. They had they were they were nomadic, so but so they were never in one place for long. But they would always have this pole with them, mm-hmm. and uh, and th- these are the words of uh, of, uh, of Mercedes Iliade. Um, he says that this pole represented a cosmic axis, for it is around the sacred pole that territory becomes habitable, hence becomes transformed into a world. The sacred pole uh, plays an important role ritually. Uh, during their wanderings, they always carry it with them and choose the direction they are to take by the direction towards which it bends. Uh, and he goes on from there, but then he adds, for the pole to be broken denotes catastrophe. It is like the, quote, end of the world, unquote, a reversion to chaos. So uh, I find that uh, and basically they just, if the, if the pole breaks, they, they, they lay down on the ground and wait for death. Well, which is interesting because it all goes back to the whole thought that we, we as humans need a center. Yeah. And for some people, that's God. But, you know, a system that holds it all together. Because, mm-hmm. you know, think of the word decentering, right? 
you're off kilter. And a lot of people don't like to live that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so if for, 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 for many, it says, you know, whatever belief system provides solace and balance and comfort, um, that makes sense. But I like, I love this poll example. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the, the idea, cause it's both, uh, encouraging, but also kind of dark. Cause it's the idea. Yeah. We're going to bring our, our pole with us and we're, it's going to, it's, it's going to keep us sane wherever we go in the cosmos. But then on the other hand, if the pole breaks, we're boned. So yeah, but the thing, here's the thing. The pole always breaks at some point because there's entropy. Yeah. The pole yeah. breaks in our personal lives all the time, right? Yeah. Well, when but the pole, then the pole's fine. Yeah. Or when the pole breaks, you just got two poles now, you know, Schism, right? <laughs> nice. I like that. Um, I did want to mention that just as a sort of recap about the World Science Festival and this talk that Steven Weinberg gave, it was just kind of funny. There's a YouTube, uh, YouTube clip of this. And uh, after Weinberg's talk, someone cornered Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson, who was in the audience. And he asked Tyson if maybe Tyson would be open, from as far as I can tell, to suggesting to a senator that we should fund science exploration and the Large Hydrant Collider and so on and so forth, and the attempt uh, to, to get more funding and say that Jesus could exist on an alternate universe, hmm. that perhaps Neil deGrasse Tyson should further this, this agenda. <laughs> and again, and you know, of course this was, this was a question that was posed in jest and, um, and Tyson was sort of horrified, but he was a perfect gentleman, um, and just sort of said no and walked away. But, um, but again, there's this, that's, you know, that person was suggesting that cause he was saying, you know, if we can fit this sort of worldview in here, then perhaps we could get the funding and we could do more exploration. Huh. Uh, so funny clip if you look it up. I will have to look that one up. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, uh, I have one little bit of uh, listener mail here. Let me get to it real quick. Sit a little bit. And uh, in this, uh, actually, these two are uh, our uh, listener mail from our Facebook page, which is Blow the Mind, the same as our Twitter page, Blow the Mind. And uh, they write, uh, first Malachi writes, no discussion on neo-evolution, because we just had a podcast yes. about, um, are you ready for the neo-evolution, is complete without mention of Gattaca. For a movie from 97, it is extremely prophetic, a society in which everyone um, that is important has a history of genetic tailoring. The love child or accidental pregnancy is viewed as as a liability to employers. Um, uh, there's and goes on. There's a lot of stuff in the. Uh, I can't believe we didn't bring up Gattaca. Yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah, I remember seeing it. I remember it being a fun film. Yeah, I remember it being like this is a very interesting proposition because the you know mm-hmm. the, the main character is flawed, right? And, yeah. and yet is chosen uh, for exploration. Uh, even even though he's not perfect. Right. So it, which sort of um, challenges our ideas of trying to tinker with our DNA to the extent that we reached some sort of perfection or yeah. state of perfection. Yeah, and it's a great, yeah, you can do it kind of movie, you know? Like, yeah, it like, is. Like, uh, you're imperfect. You go for it. Yeah. And there's some famous Attaboy. writer in that, isn't there? Is, is, is there a famous writer in there? Yeah. Like, not Noam Chomsky's not in it, is it? Somebody. I don't recall. Well, somebody is, is in it. But uh, I recall Uma and her cheekbones, but, yeah. uh, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, then Malachi adds, I love sci-fi because it prepares us for what may happen. And the ideas expressed in this 15-year-old movie may very well be a reality soon. So, yeah. yeah. And then um, Rick writes in and says, uh, responding to our uh, our podcast on the future of toilets, writes, uh, For some sociologists, the best measure of a culture's civilization is the distance it can maintain from its own excrement. For some ecologists, the best measure of a culture's civilization is the degree to which it can recycle its own excrement. And for some individuals, the best measure of a culture or civilization is the excrement's availability uh, to be put to further use. So, uh, and I believe he, uh, 
he's quoting something here. Um, yeah, um, I think he's quoting a book here. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that's, that's actually a fascinating yeah, way it, of looking at it. It's true. We have um, for a long time been trying to put a distance between ourselves and our excrement. And I was actually th- even thinking about this book I have about the history of shoes. Mm-hmm. And you, you can see these great shoes that were in existence. I think some of them were even like maybe 10th, 11th century uh-huh. that are essentially like huge platforms, which would make sense. Like you want if you're going through the streets and the streets are literally paved with uh-huh. excrement. Oh. <laughs> if you could elevate yourself from that, uh, you know, perhaps not get your, your clothing in the muck even better. So, so like high heels are basically saying my neighborhood is nasty because I have to just wade through it. Or I'm above it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah true. Yeah. Um, well, hey, you know, it's like, uh, like I say, Facebook, Twitter, blow the mind on both of those. I'd love to hear uh, anybody's thoughts about the, the future of religion, where it's going, where it should go. Uh, an, another area that we didn't even get into is if you had to design a religion to work in space, what would it be? Because on one hand, I like to think of the whole like David Eagleman, possibilian yeah. kind of thing where it's the like... The thing yeah, is interesting. Like keeping your mind open to all these new ideas. And then I love the idea of a theological buffet where you pick and choose the things that are beneficial uh, to, to yourself, uh, which I think we all do to a limited extent anyway. Uh, but then I was talking to um, uh, this guy know who uh I think, yeah he actually uh yeah he he, he works on uh, the eve games eve online games uh but it, he his argument was well if you were designing a religion for space there's not a lot of room for error in space travel mm-hmm. so you would want to have a really strict dogmatic religion to make sure everybody's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing on these different space flights well Which, that would become the religion right yeah at noon we we gather some data yeah um <laughs> And we do it in turtlenecks with yeah, Carl exactly. Sagan here. Yeah, exactly. Saganism, once again. I wonder if we can kind of promote that throughout the office and see if it just takes Like hand out pamphlets? Takes off. Yeah. Oh, uh, we should do like chick, uh, like a chick uh, pamphlet about it. All right. Well, yeah. Let us let us know if you're willing to wear turtlenecks in the name of science. Uh, and just go ahead and drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.